Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We'll take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 40, the book of Isaiah and the 40th chapter. We'll read a couple of verses as our text and then keep your Bible handy. We'll look at several others in this chapter in just a moment. Isaiah and the 40th chapter this morning. And I'd like to read starting with verse six. We'll read down to verse nine, Isaiah 40 and starting with verse six. The Bible said, the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. When I was 10 years old, I was riding in the back seat of our automobile. My dad was driving, my mom in the front, and my sister and I in the back. We were sitting at a stoplight in Watertown, Wisconsin, my hometown, and we were waiting for that light to turn green. And I peered over the top of that seat in front of me to the car right in front of us. On the bumper, there was a bumper sticker that I will never forget. It's kind of an ugly green bumper sticker with black letters. That bumper sticker contained three words. God is dead. God is dead. Throughout my teenage years in the 1960s, I saw that bumper sticker nearly every day of my life. It seemed like that thought, that attitude had crept into our nation that God is dead. Sometime later, I discovered that that particular philosophy had come out of Germany. A man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche had written much about the subject of God, and he had come to the conclusion that God had once been alive and had lived, but had died. And when God died, all absolutes, all morals, all ethics died with him. Adolf Hitler was a big fan of Friedrich Nietzsche. In fact, took much of his counsel during World War II from his writings. Today, in our culture, we see that philosophy permeating in many different ways. Our nation has decided for the most part, that God really doesn't matter. God doesn't really exist. In fact, 29% of Americans today claim to be atheists. But we could spend some time, I suppose, talking about our nation and their forsaking of God, but what about us? How alive is God in your life? Did you talk to him this week? 
Did you let him speak to you? Did we think about him at all? Did we speak to anybody else about him? How alive is God in my life? If I were to give you a piece of paper this morning and a writing instrument, and I were to ask you to write down a definition of God, how would you describe him? What would you write? When we get that finished, we must ask ourselves a question. Does God believe in my God? Because if you were to ask people on the streets of any city this morning in America, who is God? You'd get a variety of answers. But does God believe in our God? I think one of the reasons that we have lost the proper definition of God or even denied his existence is because we've gotten away from the word of God. Isaiah says in chapter 8 and verse 20, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. In other words, if we don't get answers to spiritual questions from the Bible, we don't have light on the subject. We don't have the right answer. In Jeremiah 8 and verse 9, the Bible says, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 29, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So Isaiah chapter 40 is a wonderful chapter that defines for us who God is. And I want to look at it with you this morning. First of all, we see in chapter 40 that God is above all. Look with me at verse 12, and let's read a little bit. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh the isles as a very little thing and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing and they are counted him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth the tree that will not rot. He seeketh in him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither." And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power. Not one faileth. God is above all. Sometimes we think that we're pretty accomplished. We think, well, look what I've done. Look what I've done with my life. Look at all these things I've accomplished. Look at what I've made of myself. But, you know, we're not as big as we think we are. God is above all. In fact, anything that we would use to describe God in our definition, God made we would, in defining God or describing God, we'd say, well, he's like, and we would choose to liken him to something he created, according to verse 26. He created all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20, verse 11 says, in six days, that the Lord God make the heavens and the earth. Job said in chapter 9 and verse 1, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. In chapter 12 of Job, in verse 7, Job said, Ask now the beasts, and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah is praying to the Lord, and she says in verse 2, there's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more as so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed, for by strength shall no man prevail. God is above all. He is the God of the entire universe. Nothing compares to God. He is above everything. Our solar system that we live in is six billion miles across. The galaxy called the Milky Way in which we inhabit, no one knows where it got that name, I believe it was when the cow jumped over the moon, that's when they named it the Milky Way. But our galaxy, scientists tell us that if you could step back in the universe 
And you could look at the Milky Way from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl or a giant dish. Now scientists tell us that if we could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way, and we could travel at the speed of light, that's 186,282 miles per second. That's moving. If you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to cross this galaxy called the Milky Way. And science estimates that there are 100 billion galaxies in the universe like the Milky Way. 40 sextillion solar systems. Our Earth is, is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around this planet. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the Earth. The nearest star to us is 26 trillion miles away. The supernova recently discovered has 10 septillion. We're getting into the big numbers now. If you're taking notes, start way over on the left side of your page. Because 10 septillion is a 10 with 24 zeros after it. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why the psalmist walked out one night and he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Did you see what he said here in verse 15 about the nations? In verse 15 he says, The nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. We don't use balance scales to measure things today in the markets. We, um, we have different types of weights and measurements that we use today, but in Bible days, they used what was called a balance scale. We still use it in America to symbolize our judicial system. Oftentimes, you'll see a balance scale on a courtroom building or something of that nature. If you went to the store back in Old Testament times and you wanted a pound of flour, there was a, a balance scale there on the counter. And uh, the merchant would take a one pound weight from under the counter, and he would place that 16 ounce weight on one side of the scale. And of course, the scale would tip in that direction. He would now take flour that you requested and pour it into the other side of the scale. And when the scale was balanced, you knew you had a pound of flour. Well, there were some merchants who were dishonest. They were trying to be dishonest, and so they kept several weights under the counter. So if you came in and you said, I'd like a pound of flour, if they didn't like you, or they thought, well, he looks like he's got some money, I'm going to rip him off, he would reach under there and he'd pull out a 15-ounce weight. Now, set a pound on it, but, but he would place it on this side of the scale, and he would pour the flour, and you thought you had purchased a pound of flour, but you had just gotten taken. That's why the book of Proverbs says divers' weights, several weights, divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord. God condemns that kind of business. We're supposed to be honest. Stop ripping people off is what he's saying. 
divers waits for an abomination. Well, people knew that they went into some stores and there were these dishonest merchants. So a merchant who was honest in Bible days, if he wanted to prove his honesty to you, before he ever put a weight on that scale or any flour on that scale, he would take out a cloth. And as you were watching, he would take that cloth and he would wipe the dust off the balance. Now, dust doesn't weigh anything. But it was symbolic of his honesty. He was saying by this gesture, I'm going to give you a fair measurement. And God uses that illustration to tell us the nations before him are as the dust of the balance. We don't need to get too concerned about what's going on in government. In fact, in verse 17, he says, all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing and vanity. Take that same balance scale. He says, you take all the nations and put them over here on one side. All the superpowers, the United States and Russia and China, take all the medium-sized nations, South Korea and, and South Africa and Brazil and, 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 and Japan, you put them here and you take all the little nations, the ones we don't think about till the Olympics rolls around, you know. Here, put them all on this side, God says. Then put me over here on the other side of the scale. And he says, compared to me, they're less than nothing below zero. Where does that put me? Verse 22 says, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. We're not as big and important as we think we are. God is above all. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. Jeremiah said in chapter 10 and verse 10, he's the true God. He's the living God. He's an everlasting king. God is above all. But notice secondly, God is aware of all. When you start thinking about God, as we're doing this morning, it's easy to think, well, a God that powerful, a God that magnificent, a God that mighty, he didn't care about me. I, I mean, God has, as we might say, bigger fish to fry than my problems. I mean, he doesn't care about the balance in my checkbook. He doesn't care about my aches and pains. He doesn't care about my broken heart, my broken relationships. He doesn't care about my sorrow or, or, or my happiness. He, God, God doesn't care if I'm saved or not. He doesn't care about my soul. He, he doesn't care about my burdens. He doesn't care about my, my life as a Christian. He doesn't care if I have sin in my heart today. You know what? We're wrong. Because look at verse 27 of chapter 40. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. God is aware 
of everything in our life. We might think that we've hid something from the Lord. We might think, well, God doesn't know about that. The Bible says here that our way is not hid from him. There's no searching of his understanding. He knows everything. When you think about creation, and I like to think about the big things in creation. I like to think about these massive numbers and this tremendous power that the universe displays. But when you think about creation, you also have to think about the details of that creation. For example, it is the atom which makes up matter. Now, the atom is so small that scientists tell us that if you took 100,000 atoms and you lined them up next to each other in a single file line, the distance of 100,000 atoms in a single file line would cross the width of a human hair. Yet inside each one of those little atoms is at least a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Guess who put them there? God. Details. Specifics of creation. Our earth is tilted on its axis. Whenever you see a globe over at the school library or perhaps on a teacher's desk, it's always tilted on its axis. Scientists tell us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space. In fact, they tell us if our earth was tilted just one, de one degree, one direction, we'd all freeze to death. If it was tilted one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle and never wavers so that life can inhabit this planet we call the earth. Now, that globe over at the teacher's office or the library, it's on a stand. There's something holding it there at that degree of angle. You can go up to it, give it a spin, watch the world go around. But the, it stays at that tilt because it's on a stand. But Job 26.7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So our planet today is in space at an exact degree of angle, but it's hanging on nothing. And as you contemplate that, it's at this exact degree of angle, it's hanging on nothing, it's spinning once every 24 hours. Exactly once every 24 hours. And as you're thinking about the fact that it's tilted at a degree of angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Details. We think sometimes, well, God doesn't know about me. But Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them does not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Did you know that in this world today, February 21st, 2021, not one bird will fall to the ground in death anywhere on this planet today that God will not attend the funeral? And you don't think God knows you're, sa you're saved or not? You don't think God's aware of some hidden sin? 
You don't think that God's unaware of your obedience or lack of obedience to his word? We think that God isn't aware that, that, that we've got some financial difficulties or some physical struggles or our relationships aren't going real well. God's just oblivious to all that. God is aware of all. Your body has 203 bones in it. You have 600 muscles. It takes 300 of them to be operating effectively for me to walk across this stage. We have 970 miles of blood vessels running through our body. That's like here to Denver, Colorado. 970 miles of blood vessels taking oxygen and, and water and nutrients to the various tissues of our skin so that we can live a healthy life. Our lungs have 600 million air cells that allow air to enter our lungs as we breathe. We have 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears. Yeah, that should be a, a real blessing to some of you. Your wife looks like uh, she married you for the waves. Now all that's left is the beach, but that's okay. Someone said, this is not a bald spot. It's a solar panel. Maybe that'll work for you. But we have 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears, and they tell us that if just one of those little hairs, one of those little strings becomes damaged, your hearing's impaired. We have 4,500 500, uh, taste buds on our tongue so that when we go and eat lunch in a moment, we'll know the difference between sweet and sour and bitter. We have over 4,000 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on our body. Now, now, some of you that are single, some of you that aren't married yet, you should be taking notes on this stuff. You need facts. Because on your first date, I'll guarantee you, it will get quiet real fast. It happens on every first date. You're talking away, and then all of a sudden, there's nothing else to talk about. And it's, it's really awkward. And so you need facts at that moment. You need things that will come to your brain. So write these things down. Because then in that awkward silence, you can look at your, your, your girlfriend and you can say, those are the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it's those sweat tubes that allow our skin to be air-conditioned and we can adjust to various climates and temperatures. We breathe in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day. And you don't have to think about it. You don't wake up in the morning and go, I gotta breathe, 4,200. I mean, you don't worry about it. You just live. And the only time it even enters your mind is when maybe something hurts or goes wrong, then you think about it a little bit, but God is aware of all of it. He holds it all in his hand. He's aware of all. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He's above all. He's aware of all. But notice finally, he's able to do all. 
Well, I love these last three verses. Songs have been written about these verses. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God is able to do all. I love what it says in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. You believe that? Nothing too hard for the Lord? You know, when we doubt that, we're in pretty good company. God came to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, along with his wife, Sarah, and he announced to them that they were going to have a son. Now, God had made a promise to them way back in Genesis 15 that they were going to have a child. But a lot of years have passed. And by the time we get to Genesis 18, Abraham is 99 years old, and Sarah is 90 the Bible says they were past the age of bearing children. In other words, biologically, it was impossible. But God said to them, you're going to have a son. And the Bible records that Abraham and Sarah, they laughed when they heard that. They said, God, it's too late. We know you promised it, but we're old. We're well stricken in age. It's impossible. But in verse 14 of Genesis 18, God looked at Abraham and he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love what it says in Genesis 21 and verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You see, with men it was impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And when God says that, he puts an exclamation point at the end of it. They did have a son. They named him Isaac. And the Bible records that Isaac lived to the age of 40 and his mom died. So if Isaac was 40 when Sarah died, that would mean that Sarah was 130 at her death, because she was 90 when, Sarah, when Isaac was born, so she'd be 130. Abraham would have been 139, because he was 99 at the birth of Isaac. Now his wife passes, so 40 years later, so he'd be 139. And Genesis 24 is a beautiful love story. It takes 67 verses for love to develop. Love doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> Long chapter. But Abraham realizes that Isaac needs a wife. He's, he's sorrowing. He's mournful because of the loss of his mother. There's a hole in his heart. And so Abraham sends his servant to go find him a wife. And you can read it later. It's a wonderful story. The servant goes and he finds Rebekah. And he brings Rebekah back. And it's love at first sight. And Isaac and Rebekah are married. And the last verse, verse 67, says that Isaac is comforted on the death of his mother by now having this wonderful wife named Rebecca. Well, we turn the page to Genesis 25. 
And in verse 1, it tells us that Abraham gets remarried. It's 139. He gets remarried. And in verse 2, it tells us he has six more kids. And they weren't sextuplets. I mean, he had them over a period of time. You talk about God doing the impossible. Abraham thought at 99, there's no way I can have a son. Now I'm too old. God said, watch this. Exclamation point. I'll show you what I can do. And listen, God is wanting to show us this morning what he can do. He's able to do all. You might say, well, God, I don't think God could save me. I mean, I, I, I hear you people talk about being a Christian. I, I look at that kind of a life, and I think there's no way. There's no way I could be saved, as you call it. I mean, I, 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 I've never been even religious, much less a Christian. I mean, I've done some bad stuff. I mean, God wouldn't want me. This great God in heaven, he, he wouldn't want me to come there. I mean, he's holy. He's righteous. He, he doesn't want me in heaven. You know what the Bible says? In Hebrews 7, 25, it says, He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for you. Do you realize you may have a mom praying for you to be saved? You may have a dad praying for you. You may have a child praying for you. You probably have a pastor praying for you. But you know what? Jesus Christ is praying for you to be saved. He's making intercession for you right now that you would be saved. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves you. And I don't understand that about me any more than you can understand it about you, but that's what the Bible says, that he loves us, and he sent his son to come to this earth and die on a cross and be buried and rise again the third day so that we could have eternal life. That's the gospel that can save you. Christian, we... We come in and out of church and we hear pastor preach and we think, ah, I know, I, I'm supposed to get some stuff out of my life, but it's been there a long time. I mean, I've always been a proud person. How am I supposed to just be humble? I mean, I've always had bad thoughts. I've always had lustful thoughts. I mean, how am I supposed to just get rid of that? I mean, I've always been a worry ward. I worry about everything. How am I supposed to just give my anxiety to the Lord? I, I just can't do it. I, it's just the way I am. You should have met my dad. <laughs> we think I've got these problems. I've got these habits that the Bible calls sin, but, but I don't think I can get victory in these areas. Wait a minute. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. There's nothing that God can't do. You say, well, this, this next step people keep talking to me about that I need to take, I mean, I should probably get baptized. I've been saved, but ooh, I don't, I, 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 that's scary. Yeah, I should probably become a part of a church and I should probably serve and I should probably do some things to, to be a blessing to people and to God. And I, yeah, I should probably just give my life to him and surrender to him. But man, there's some fears there. There's some scary stuff about that. And I, I, I don't know, wait a minute. Faithful is he that calleth you, 
who also will do it. It's not us. It's him through us. Unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So if God is above all and he's aware of all and he's able to do all, then why don't we trust him? Why don't we treat him as God? First step to demise in any country, according to Romans 1, is when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. How alive is God in your life? Is he alive? Or could you put that bumper sticker on the back of your car, God's dead. I haven't talked to him in ages. I haven't seen him do anything in my life in a long time. What we're saying by the way we live is God is dead. But he's not. He's very much alive. And he's very much as powerful today as he was at any point in history. We need to trust him. We need to follow him. We need to love him. And we need to make him known in this world today. He's God. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.